Father, we just thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your truth in written form, that we can look in it, that we can learn from it, we can apply it to our lives, Lord God. In this, in this time together, Lord, we just pray that you open our eyes uh, to see your truth, that you open our ears so we can hear your voice, soften our hearts that will receive this with grace, and let it change us from the inside out. Lord, speak through me. I am incapable without you. Holy Spirit, uh, allow me to be your mouthpiece. Let your truth bring others to know you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm so glad you're here. If you have not already, find yourself a table, grab some water, coffee. There might be a few cookies left. There were some amazing cookies earlier, and then they were gone. Like as soon as the thing opened, they were like vanished. But we are so excited to hear. Uh, to make this kind of easy, if, I'm glad you're bringing your Bibles. If you have your e-Bible, that's even more amazing that it makes you probably a half step faster than everyone else. But if you didn't bring your Bible, we print out the main text uh, for the night. And that tonight is going to be Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 uh, through 20. I actually shortened it. If you were here last week, I told you to read Matthew 5, 17 through 26, but as I prep my notes, I realize I'm not going to cover that much information tonight, uh, and I really want to focus in on this passage. So uh, if you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, as you are turning to your Bibles, I want to encourage you to develop the habit of daily Bible reading. A couple weeks ago, when we started uh, this night, we talked about the importance of reading the Bible, and I challenged all of us to take in some time in our lifetime to read through the entire Scripture cover to cover. Now, that's a very big task, and I don't want to scare anybody. However, my encouragement is if you learn to take the Bible in bite-sized chunks, God is more interested in you getting to know him over a, the long span of your life than just trying to get it all done at once. So finding a pace and a tempo that works for you. Uh, my wife and I are actually looking into some uh, Bible reading plans so that we could actually read the Bible together. Just not just reading as we study Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, but actually through the YouVersion app, we could all come together and we could all actually read together and hold each other accountable. I think that would be amazing. So be look on the lookout for that. So if you have your Bibles out, we are in Matthew 5, verse 17 through 20. And Jesus continues to speak. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so, the same will be, they, the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never 
enter the kingdom of heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this, those four verses have so much information on it. If I, I did some research as I was getting ready for this, and one of the pastors I listened to, his name is John MacArthur, and he preached four 45-minute sermons from those four verses. So that's an indication of how much richness is in those four verses that it took a very great man of God three hours to cover four verses. My 35 minutes is not going to do it near the justice that it deserves, but I want us to begin to look at it so we have some comprehension, so we can begin to understand, so we can apply it to our lives. Amen? Amen. All right, verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets, the law or the prophets, but I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And, and this is one of the things that we see in Christ's life is that he came to accomplish that which the law and the prophets set out for us to do, but could not. We, let's ask the question, why was the law given? The law was given to understand the righteousness of God. If you want to flip in your Bibles to a couple pages over that um, Matthew seven twelve it says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So it, we, you call that what? The golden rule. Sometimes we've said, do unto others as you would have done to you. So there's a, a social law. There's a civil law between one another. There's a Levitical law that was the priesthood. That was how the sacrifices. And then there was a ceremonial law, which kind of balanced between the two. And, and so as if you are familiar, as actually we are in this series of Genesis. We're talking about Joseph, and we know Joseph goes to Egypt. Eventually his brothers go there. Uh, I hope I'm not spoiling the story for you. And then after several hundred years, about 400 years to be exact, Moses is born, comes on the scene. God calls Moses to deliver Israel out of Egypt. And when they're in Mount Sinai, God gives God, or God gives Moses the law. It's about 613 laws that were given. Now, since then, and the 2,000 years after that, the religious leaders who were over Israel had a responsibility of trying to help the people understand the law, right? Probably many of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your strength. You shall not keep any idols, you shall keep the Sabbath. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall honor your mother and your father. You shall not kill. You shall not covet. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not commit adultery. And I miss one. It happens. Thou covet? Did I said that one. Oh, anyways, thou shall not covet. But the idea is that this, and that's what, for most of us, what we remember. But if you read through Exodus and you read through Leviticus and you read in parts in Numbers and Deuteronomy, you get the fullness of the law. And, and not to go on a, on a wild goose chase, but there's a lot of times where we look at certain laws and we go, well, for example, and not to pick on anyone, but there's in Leviticus that you should not make any cuttings on your body. So we've interpreted it to that to no tattoos. 
It's like, oh, no tattoos. Ooh. I have some, by the way, so I'm about me as anyone else. But in the same passage of Scripture, it also says not to wear clothing made of two materials. So if you have anything with cotton and nylon, cotton and polyester, nylon and polyester, anything blended, you've broken the law. It only takes one law to be broken in which you've committed a sin in which a sacrifice must be made. That was the law. Right? But God designed the law not to put these weird stipulations upon the people, but he really wanted them to be set apart from the rest of the world. Right? It's even to the, the point and something that is sometimes skipped over is the importance of not having idols. We, we live in a world full of stuff. Now, a couple thousand years ago, or even a few hundred years ago, people would have graven images. They would carry little figurines in their pocket, and they would be made of wood or clay or metal, and they would carry them around, and they'd keep them safe, and they would set them up on a shelf, and they would do things for them because they were precious, and they believed that that idol had the ability to give them good favor or fortune and health and fertility. But as soon as we take anything and put it above God and believing that little thing can do something that God can't, we've committed idolatry. And then that's where God is wanting us in our hearts. And even to the fact that when Jesus says that I've come to fulfill the law, not a single one of us can say that for every moment of our life that we have loved God with all of our mind with all of our strength, with all of our heart, and all of our will. And Jesus was able to keep God in the right place his entire life. And then so what do the prophets tell us? They tell us the coming of the Messiah. I believe there's some 700 prophecies, so not enough time for me to list them, of the coming Messiah that the scriptures foretell of Jesus. And Jesus accomplished every single one. So that's when Jesus nailed to the cross says, it is finished. At that point, everything that the, the law and the prophets had set out to accomplish was fulfilled. It, it, he, he did it. And he did it because we couldn't, right? We kept striving, not necessarily you and me, but the Jewish people, the Israelites, they lived a life trying to fulfill the law. And this is what really Jesus calls the Pharisees out on. In, in several chapters, in Mark chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 18, I think it is, 17, 18, God says, you have traded the commandments of God for the traditions of men. See, the Pharisees were so particular in wanting to keep the law, they had to, one of the big ones that they kept was honoring the Sabbath. And they were like, well, not working on the Sabbath meant not carrying a burden. So what does it mean not to carry a burden? Something silly like as a, a person who sews, a seamstress, who if he or she had a, a pin, pin stuck in his Tunic, that was carrying a burden. That was work. 
if you were had too much ink, like if you could write more than two letters of ink in your pocket, you were carrying a burden. If you had a, some form of artificial limb and you carried that on the Sabbath, you were carrying a burden. Do you see how ridiculous, even to the point of healing, was a sin on the Sabbath, right? So if you got a, a really bad cut on your arm, like you're just gouging out, right? Just gross, right? We could put a Band-Aid on it, but we could not clean it. We could only do what was necessary to preserve your life until the Sabbath was over, and then we could care for you. And that was how particular the Pharisees had gotten about the Sabbath and trying to keep it holy because they didn't want to work. And is that not what we see Jesus kind of doing the opposite of? Right? Doesn't he challenge them by saying, which one of you, if you had a donkey who fell in a well, would not go down and pull him out? And so what is it for me, the son of man, to heal this man who cannot walk? It, it, it was this very works-driven mindset that these people had given. They were just striving and striving and striving to be able to earn their salvation. Because the ceremonial law was given, that means there were sacrifices that were required for sin. We would have to go to the temple, a, a lamb or a goat was slain, blood was spilled in order to pay, atone for our sins. And so what does Christ do? He lays down his own life so that our sins are forgiven once and for all. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Romans chapter 10. I just want to point to a couple verses real quick. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Romans 10, 4. It says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So we, we're not trying to get rid of the law, right? Jesus actually says a few words later, not a dot, not an iota will pass away until all is accomplished. But in Christ, for those of us who are in Christ, the requirements of the law have been fulfilled I would love you to actually read Romans 10. It, it is a very beautiful passage. It's got some of my favorite verses in it, such as faith comes through hearing, hearing the words of Christ. If you flip back a page, I would hope to Romans chapter 8, my absolute favorite chapter in the entire Bible. Romans chapter 8. I'm not reading the whole thing. I don't, I can't. But verse 3, this is why Christ came. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. Do you see that? For God has done, through Christ, what the law, weakened by flesh, the Pharisees, the scribes, all the religious leaders who are trying to put in the works, could not do by sending His Son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. So Jesus, because God gave us the law, which was good, there was nothing wrong with the law. But as the law was played out by man, it became sinful. It became weak. 
And then he, had, he, sent son, he sent Jesus that he had planned from the beginning to come into human flesh, to fulfill the law, as we've just read, and pay for our sins so that the law would be fulfilled. I had a young man in my office uh, a couple weeks ago, and he's a video gamer. So if you're younger than probably 35, you might get this. If you're older than that, bear with me. But I think it's worth hearing out. See, in a video game, there's quests. There's things that you have to do. There are objectives in every game. You, you, you come in and you do certain steps in order to move to the next level. So imagine... There's an a administrator who has designed the game and he has created this world. And in it, there are two sides. There is darkness and there is light. And he has given instructions to actually to all how to complete this last quest. But no one in this world is able to complete the quest. So what does the administrator do? And this actually happens in real video games. The administrator, because he's the creator, comes into the world as a player to complete the quest so that the game can move forward. So Jesus, so God created this game with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He sent his son to be the player to complete the quest that we could not so that we who belong to the light are able to ascend to the next level. And he was like, oh, snap. So you can be praying for him. We're still working this out, but it clicked. It registered in his head because he, he's one of those kind of kids. But so ultimately the law and the prophet tell us of the holiness of God. The prophets foretell of the coming Christ. And the Jews lived by the law and the prophets to work towards salvation. And how wonderful that we now have it through grace. Now there's a challenge here is if you, we skip down to verse 19. Jesus warns us whoever lacks on one of these, of the least of these commandments and teachings, the same will be called the least. Paul says it better this way in Romans 6. This is probably one of my wife's favorite Bible verses. 6.1, it says, Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. And, and, and actually in the Greek, it's a really strong word. It's like, almost like shouting, no. Right? And, and, and in this is, Jesus isn't saying that we just go, you know what? We don't need this. Just kind of take the Old Testament, just tear it out and just, nah, we don't need that. That's called antinomianism. If you want to actually learn how to spell that, that's A-N-T-I-M-O-M-I-A-N-I-S-M. Antinomianism. That means it's also the, it's the long version of anarchy, lawlessness. This literally means to forsake the law. And there was a lot of people who actually were accusing the apostles, including Paul, that he was going against the law, that he literally had taken the law of God and says, no, no, we don't need this. And that's actually not true. Paul was actually a believer in the law. He said in Galatians that the whole law could be completed in one word, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gives us two words. He says, love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and 
love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because ultimately, even if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four reflect God's love and the last six reflect our love towards one another. So God doesn't want, God, there, there is because of Christ, and if you were here through a Hebrew study, and I would love to go that way, but I don't have the time, but how Christ was the final sacrifice once and for all, for all of our sins, and he, his blood was put on the mercy seat, seat so that we no longer needed the sacrificial system. So that when the veil was torn in the most holy of holies, that the Spirit of God left that place and now dwell where? In us. So there is no longer need for the ceremonial sacrificial priesthood because Christ is our eternal priest. He was the sacrificial lamb. He completed the Passover and atonement and all the forgiveness sins we would ever need. So if you want to look that up, it's Hebrews 9 and 10. is a great chapter to read. But this is what I want you to know. This is what I want to spend the, the rest of our time thinking on. And this is, question is literally written in my Bible. It says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, will you, never, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I have written out underneath it says, Then how? How then, if, if I can't, if, if the, the scribes and the Pharisees who are the keepers of the law are actually not able to keep the law, how then am I able to keep the law? My, my righteous, I, I, trust me, I drive down Mabry, and you, you know, we've talked about the driving thing before, that there's no way I can maintain righteousness living in Tampa. And if you can, praise be to God. But the reality is, is none of us can. So then the question is, how do we enter the kingdom of God? Is, is, is that not rattling in your spirit? You're going, well, wow, Pastor Josh, that's, you're telling me I have to be that righteous? You have to be able to keep 613 laws in order? I mean, we have laws in the United States that we don't, they're just crazy, right? We can't even keep our own laws, no less God's laws. Because I won't embarrass anybody. But if you drove and you drove on waters where the speed limit's 45, did you drive 45? Okay. Just saying. How then do we enter into the kingdom of God? And by God's grace, there is an answer, and it's not works. That is good news. If you want to turn to me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And if you got the question sheet, all, my, all these scripture references are at the bottom, so you, don't, so you can look them up later. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 and it reads for our sake i gotta be really honest when i read this monday night as i was writing out my notes because i took the page that i had before and i scratched it and i started over and i got to this and i stopped paul is telling you 
that for your sake, because of his love for you, Christ did this. And what did he do? He made him, God made Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, and he was tempted in every way. There's not a temptation Christ did not face that, he, that we will ever experience that he did not overcome, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, for you can actually say for my sake, for me, and this is how I read it, and I sat there for probably 15 minutes going, God did this for me? What did I do? And the answer is nothing to deserve this kind of mercy and grace. But because of his overwhelming love, mercy, and grace, he poured himself out that through Christ, in Christ, when we are in Christ, we can have that righteousness. And to further prove it to you, turn to Romans chapter 3. And this is where we will rest. Romans chapter 3. Now, I could sit here and read the whole thing, but I, I can't. But you start at verse 9. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 9. I encourage you to read all of Romans 3. So you have homework. Read Romans 3. Sorry, you have, I know for those of you who aren't in school anymore. Homework. You got it. You're welcome. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. And that's what the previous eight verses tell us. And then now Paul is quoting from Psalms. He says, as it is written, none. Now, for those of you who like to know the Greek, uh, oik is the O-U-K is the word. That means no none, nada, zip, zero. So no one, none, is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Well, the psalmist and Paul are trying to communicate that this is no longer a global problem, because it is. The idea of none and no one is to look at the broad picture. God looks at the whole earth and every person who will ever dwell on it and says, none of them are seeking after me on their own. None of them are righteous on their own. None of them are even good on their own. And then it turns from the mass to back to the individual. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The, the, Paul is trying to get this picture of there's no one excluded from, from this, that we're all under sin, that we all have sinned. And if we, if we were to stop there, that would be really sad. But God would be just, because God is holy, God is light, God is righteous, God is good. But it doesn't end there. 
Verse 21. I love the but word, if B-U-T, to be clear. But now, the righteousness of God. But the right now, the righteousness of God has been made, has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, this is all that we just covered of how the prophets and the law all talked about the righteousness and the coming Christ and now Christ has come in flesh. That's what it means to be made manifest, to be visible, to be real. He was not some idea, not some spirit, not some ghost, but a real person. As the law and the prophets declare, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. See, we are all under sin, and, and the Jews for a really long time believed that they were the only ones worthy of God's love and His grace. But Paul is clearing the air that all humans, every person of every tribe and every tongue and every color and gender, God looks at all of us. And when we believe in Jesus, He no longer sees our sin but he sees Christ's righteousness. Verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Our lives had a price. There was a debt to be paid because of our sins. And Jesus paid it. He was the token that was redeemed for you. He, he came and sacrificed everything so that you could be redeemed. And not only that, whom God put forward as a propitiation is a $3 theology word for you. If you have the NIV, it probably says um, the atonement, sacrificial atonement or atonement of sacrifice or something of that nature. God has a need for righteousness to be fulfilled. And so he had to pay a price. It was a sacrificial lamb that was sacrificed to pay for the sins. And on the day of Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement, two goats would be taken. One would be sacrificed, the blood taken, poured on the mercy seat, and the other goat would be taken to the east gate, and the priest would put his hands on the goat and confess all the sins of Israel, and then would be sent out. And that word is called a scapegoat. So Christ came and paid the price. He was the, the, the lamb that was slain to pay for our sins. He bore our sins on the cross, that's what it says, by his blood, to receive by faith this, to show that God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance or patience, he has passed over former sins. So all the sins we've ever committed were paid for once and for all. It is to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier for all the one who has faith in Jesus. 
Because God is holy and he is good. God's love, if you turn back a page to Romans 2, 4, says, Or do you presume, presume the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? So, depending on your translation, where it says kindness, it actually might say goodness. And then as I began to think about the goodness of God, it took me to a passage, if you want to turn there, it's Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, it says, And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, although the courses of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, thank God for God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised and has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is the goodness of God. And this is the goodness that we do not have. This is when it says that you can't do good. This is the good that Paul is talking about. It's the same the word, the, the same kindness word here is the same word used in Romans about no one does good. When Paul writes that there, that's the same word. So when he says no one can do good, we have to compare the goodness to the goodness of God because look at what the goodness of God has done for you because of his great love he poured out Christ for us one last scripture as we close Titus chapter 3 Titus is a little bitty book after 1st Timothy Titus, Titus chapter 3 verse 3 through 7 it says for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various kinds of passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and in envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness, there that word is again, the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, made right, by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life.
That is how you enter into the kingdom of heaven. Nothing that we've done, but the great gift of grace through Christ Jesus. And we search the scriptures and we do this so we can know of our own salvation and the work being done in us. And so as we sit here in a moment, I just want, I cannot pass this moment for us to just stop. And and if you are far from God right now, you're just here because you're playing the church game or you're here because someone dragged you here or you're maybe just not sure, this is the moment. You have heard the gospel loud and clear. No one is good and all have sinned. No one is exempt. But God, (laughs) rich in mercy, poured his life out for you so that you don't have to carry that sin anymore, that you don't have to walk around in the shame or no less the vileness of this world, but you can be free for the spirit of the, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, maybe some of you are here and you have been toying with the world. You've coming to church or you're, you love Jesus, but you also love the things of this world. This is a moment of reckoning where you can know that that life is behind you. And then the rest of us who are just so grateful, as it said in 2 Corinthians, for my sake, to save me, Christ did what we could not do, that we can rejoice and be glad and we can just be thankful. So before we turn to table time, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this time in your word. I'm thankful that your word points to our dirtiness, our sin. But you, being rich in mercy, poured out your life for us, that through Christ, who lived and walked and breathed, fulfilled the prophets and the law that through him we might be called righteous, that when you look upon us, you see no sin. And if we've been afar from you and just kind of drifting along, I just pray that you draw us near. Come, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts. If we've been wrestling with this world and just not being 100%, I just pray in the name of Jesus that this moment, through the Holy Spirit, that our minds and our hearts are being renewed and restored. And for us who just love you, Lord, just continue to give us your grace that we can know your spirit is near us, never leaving us nor forsaking us. Continue to lead us in paths of righteousness in the darkness of this world. Let us be salt and light as we go out. Let us hunger and thirst for you. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.